Welcome back to the Stadium Journey Podcast. Proud to be part of the HIAC Talk Radio Network and VOC Nation. Stadium Journey is the stadium review leader for the sports fan with full stadium reviews of over 2,600 sporting venues in 61 countries. Check out all of our reviews on our website, stadiumjourney.com. You can also check us out on all our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Stadium Journey. And now you can check out the podcast on YouTube. Stay tuned for that. In addition to Stadium Journey, follow HIAC Talk Radio on Twitter at HIAC Talk Radio. You can still find all of our great content over at vocnation.com. And now for those of you in the mood for just more than just audio, we tried to say, all of the great HIAC radio podcasts are available on YouTube. Now, let me take one minute and introduce the team. I'm Paul Baker. You can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter at PuckmanRI. With me, once again, as always, is Dave Cotney. Dave, where can our listeners follow your journeys online? You can follow me wearing a cap that does not belong in any independent baseball league at ProFan9 on Twitter and Instagram. And also I'm, I'm with us. I'm fresh out. I do not have one. <laughs> That's okay. We'll forgive you this time. It's Mark Viquez with us once again. Mark, where can our listeners follow your journeys online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Ballpark Hunter. And last but certainly not least is our producer not coming to us today. Well, he's coming to us, but he's on his deathbed, I believe. It's Dan Calachico, the above average comedian. Dan, are you talking to us today or am I going to just let our listeners know where to follow you? I wanted yeah, to hear the- I wanted to hear the rasp, but I guess we're not going to do that. You can follow Dan on Twitter at DanLaw83. And we are very excited tonight to have joining us the Director of Broadcasting and Media for the St. Saint Paul Saints, Sean Aronson. Sean, thanks for coming on to the podcast. And do you want to take a second to promote your online presence or the Saints' yeah. online presence? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll do both. Uh, the Saints are at STPaulSaints on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, pretty much every platform. And then uh, for myself, it's at The Voice BTV. So at The Voice BTV. Excellent. And Sean, I wanted to start by reading your your uh, bio on the St. Paul Saints <laughs> website. But uh, of course, right before we started, I closed it down. So maybe I'll do that in a minute. But uh, <laughs> the Saints just won the championship of the American Association, right? Yes, we did uh, a couple of days ago, actually Saturday night now, and uh, everybody was excited. It was an incredible season. It was a magical ride, and uh, we're still kind of riding that high right now. And you celebrated, as you do typically, I guess, in, uh, you know, independent leagues. And, uh, you know, the, the Saints are known for uh, kind of thinking outside the box, being wacky. You guys had a parade to celebrate the championship, but it wasn't your usual parade. No, it wasn't. You know, everybody has these two, three, four-mile-long parades that uh, culminate at a, a ballpark or a stadium or an arena, uh, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people come out. Well, we knew that wasn't going to happen, so we decided to hold a one-block, one-minute-long parade, uh, and it was it was better than we could have ever hoped. It was incredible. Uh, we had a, a three-person marching band that played When the Saints Go Marching In, uh, we had our entertainment staff there. We had our mascot. We had uh, probably about seven or eight players that were there riding on uh, like a John Deere lawnmower on a golf cart uh, on a, uh, a 
big wheeled bicycle. Uh, it was it was tremendous. Uh, it, it lasted a little longer than a minute. Probably lasted about three minutes long, but it was worth it. And I would tell you, probably two to three hundred people showed up uh, for the parade, which was more than we would have ever expected. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I, I did actually just pull up your bio, so I want to share this with the listeners. Okay. Go for this it. is you know this is what you can expect when you go to St. Paul. Uh, this <laughs> is this is Sean's bio on the St. Paul Saints website. You can check that all out if you if you like uh, saintsbaseball.com. So it says Sean Michael Aronson was born Jose Tariq Oshazny, Oshans, Oshansky. Little mixed mixed race going on there, right? That's right. On on May 13th, 1977 on a farm in the Virgin Islands. He along with his peasant parents made their way to the United States as part of the witness protection program where young Jose had to change his name to Sean. They moved to the mountains in Montana, where Sean grew up wrestling bears and chasing wolves in the middle of the night. He lived a life of hardship, owning one pair of torn pants and shoes made from cardboard. He vowed to make it big and give back to his parents, who had five jobs each just to make ends meet. Sean left the countryside of Montana for bigger things in L.A., where he was a cast member on the original Real World. It was there that he discovered and came up with the idea of Survivor, selling the rights to Mark Burnett. He made his first million at the age of 17 and made it to the Fortune 500 at the age of 19. He got into broadcasting as a hobby at the age of 23 and got his first broadcasting gig at 24. Two years later, he landed a job with the Miracle, and after four years in Fort Myers, Sean wanted to move to a place with cold winters and below freezing temperatures to toughen him back up as he felt he became too soft living in 80-degree weather each day. He is now the broadcaster for the Saints, and fans can find him shoveling snow on the highways in the middle of the night in nothing but shorts. His e-true Hollywood story titled From the Outhouse to the Penthouse is due out early next year. Sean, that's quite a ride, man. <laughs> uh, I'd like to sit here and tell you that all of that is true, but I think there might be one actual true nugget in that whole thing. But you would be surprised how many people are looking for the media relations director of when I was in Fort Myers or now in, in St. Paul and they'll pull up my bio because they're not sure who it is. They'll read my bio and they, a lot of people think it's true. Let, let's just put it that way. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is surprising the amount of people who think what is written in there is true. So, but if I can fool people, that's great. It's all about fun. Exactly. And that's, that's what the, uh, the minor leagues and independent leagues, especially that's are right. all about. Having fun. Yeah, ex yeah exactly. What, what, I, what I wanted to ask you is I've been up to Saints game a couple times the last few years. Yeah. And this past year, you attracted 8,000 fans a, a game for, the, I think, the fourth consecutive year. Uh, yeah, for, uh, for the fifth consecutive year. Five fifth years in the new ballpark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are triple A numbers. Yep. Those are not even double A numbers. What, what has been the secret of success? Is it the wackiness of the minute parade? <laughs> that, that's part of it. I mean, I, I, I'd be lying to you if I if I said that the entertainment and the shenanigans and all the off the wall uh, tomfoolery that we do doesn't play a, a role in that. Uh, yeah, but we were we were in a, a ballpark, you know, before our current one, which is about five years old, mm -hmm. and we we probably averaged about fifty six, fifty seven hundred uh, in a six thousand person ballpark, and then we built this beautiful new ballpark five years ago. And all of a sudden, the attendance shot through the roof, and we were averaging over 8,000 people. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for us to draw nine or 10,000 people on a given night. Uh, and and I just think it's the whole atmosphere. I think it was the ballpark. I think it's 
the fact that we've been around a while. I think the fact that we were ahead of the curve back in 1993 uh, when, when the Saints first started. And, and I think it's the fact that we keep going with, with that fun is good motto today that is the reason that we draw so well. Now, you obviously, were, you personally were probably inspired by Mike Vec down in Fort Myers. Is that safe to say? Yeah, look, I mean, Mike has his, had his hand in Fort Myers. The, the ownership group has since sold uh, the, the team in Fort Myers. They did that about, I think, three years ago or so. Um, but I, when I was there, uh, Mike and, and, and Marv Goldklang uh, and Bill Murray owned, owned the Miracle, and they brought me up to St. Paul 13 years ago. So uh, to, be, to be honest with you, it, it's that mentality that they have that they're willing to take chances. They're willing to, uh, I'd say, straddle the line. Maybe sometimes we cross the line, but, but definitely straddle that line that uh, it, it's great to work for an organization and for an ownership group that believes in that. Yeah, and how how easy is that? Because we see other independent teams. We see some teams are being evicted from their stadium. We see some other teams are ceasing operations. Other teams are kind of going back and forth uh, whether they're going to play or not. Is it that easy, or is that you know twenty six year head start uh, the secret to the success for the Saints? Well, I think if it was that easy, everybody would draw. You know, yeah, capacity crowds. So, yeah, so it, it's not, and and. Look, we're able to get away with a lot of things because, again, I believe we were one of the first to, to really do this, to really uh, set minor league baseball on its head and do things that nobody else was doing. So we, we are the bar, if you will. I mean, people look to us every year of what kind of crazy things are you going to do. So I think that helped. If you're first to the table with something, then you're instantly going to be you know, the most popular uh, and people are going to recognize you. And then there are going to be a lot of copycats. Now, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say we've never stolen for some, from someone or seen an idea that we like and try to make it our own. I think that's what this industry is all about. There's nothing wrong with stealing good ideas. Uh, but because we were first to this uh, and we won that race, you know, we were just the most popular. And, and I think that benefits. It's also a detriment to us, though. Like every year I get asked by the media, so what kind of promotions do you have this year? And it's a, a constant game of can you top this? And we're trying to top ourselves. We're not trying to top anybody else. It's we're trying to top the St. Paul Saints. And that's difficult to do when you're constantly trying to top yourself. That, that's very hard to do. So it's a benefit and a detriment to us. So, Sean, with talking about all of these, uh, all of these wacky, wacky things you guys run at up, be completely honest i'm very unfamiliar sure um how hard has it been for you to keep people like if you guys if, you know you said you, that you uh, are kind of the leader um the first uh, how how how's the turnover been for like your marketing team and whatnot has that has that been a challenge of people sort of used uh, you know sometimes ball yep. players will use the saints as a springboard but how has your marketing team and whatnot use the Saints as a springboard? I'll say this. So we have a specific person whose title is Director of uh, uh, Promotions and Marketing. She she runs both our promotions and our marketing side of things. But to be honest with you, we're all marketing directors. Like if you work in minor league baseball, you don't need that title. You are just a marketing director because uh, any good organization is going to seek out ideas from everybody that works there. But to answer your question, We've had less turnover since we moved into the brand new ballpark. Like the world is good for us. You know, you, you draw, uh, you know, over 8,000 fans in a 7,200 seat ballpark. 
Um, we, we, we do well on the business side. The organization takes care of us. Um, and so when you work for an organization that takes care of you, um, both with your, with your needs in terms of uh, the ballpark and uh, the things that it provides, but, but also you know, on the financial side, um, when an organization does that, it knows how to keep its people. And so we've had a lot less turnover uh, than we used to when we were in the other ballpark. You know, when you'd show up to work every day and it was uh, in a rundown ballpark and, and stuff like that. So, so. Yeah, and, and that old ballpark, I went there in 1995 as a young kid, and I remember walking in there and thinking, what the heck, jerk chicken being cooked? They had a pig out there. I think Dow Strawberry was playing for the team yep. at the time. Uh, I was floored uh, by what I saw there. And even when I went out there a couple years ago, uh, you had uh, the food trucks come out on the warning track after the game, and you brought all the fans out to the field. Yep. Yeah, we still do the food truck thing, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we started uh, in the first year uh, of the of the ballpark uh, at CHS Field and something that fans loved. And, and, and that's what lower town st paul is about right like all these food trucks down there it's it's a part of the makeup down there and we just wanted to include that into the ballpark when, when we moved down to lower town we wanted to be a part of the neighborhood we didn't want to be the neighborhood like we didn't want to take over things we just wanted to find our little niche and uh and just be a part of it and i think that's what we've done Nice. Uh, that's actually a great segue into what I wanted to bring up because we started off talking about all the crazy things that, that are done in indie ball, but that's not going to keep the fans coming back. You got to have some substance there. So I was going to ask, what kind of things are you doing to draw repeat customers back? Yeah. Look, I think if you come out to a ball game and you're enjoying yourself, right, you're laughing, you're having a good time, you're bringing your family out uh, and and people are, are genuinely having a good time, they're going to come back, right? That, that's what it is. It's, our, our motto forever has been fun is good. And that's what we're trying to convey when people walk through. So as long as we've done our job on that side of things, people will continue to come back. And on top of that, you have to keep it fresh. If you're doing the same promotions over and over again, if you're doing the same on-field promotions, if you're doing the same theme nights over and over again, if you're not continuously trying to evolve, then people aren't going to come back because they've seen the same thing over and over again. Like we all can, can find who our favorite comic is, but you can only watch his stand-up routine or her stand-up routine so many times while they're trying to work it out for their one hour special. Right. And then you watch the one hour special. You can only watch it so many times before you know every single joke and it's not funny anymore. So that's what we have to do. And I, and I liken what we do to a, to a good comic. There's a beat to what we do in terms of the jokes that we're doing or uh, the interactive comedy or uh, you know, what, whatever it may be. And, and so I think we're a lot like a stand-up comic uh, you know, in that. And, and I think we, I don't wanna say we've perfected it because we'll never perfect it, but I think we've gotten very good at it. And it, it really, it starts at the top. They give us, our, our executive vice president, general manager, Derek Scherer, um, our, uh, our ownership group, they give us total autonomy to come up with wacky ideas. And I think that is the sign of a good organization. Now, I, you did the Mary Tyler Moore night with the, yep. the yep. two. Are yep. you going to do uh, Rhoda Morgenstein <laughs> night this year, the, the scarf that she made famous on the yeah. show? It's, look, I'm open <laughs> to any ideas, to be honest with you. We have not even, I promise, we haven't even started thinking about 2020. Mm -hmm. um, 
But we did it, obviously, Mary, Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, you know, the show was filmed there. There's a statue of her in Minneapolis. Uh, she had just passed away. And so we wanted to do something to honor her because I think it was the year before that, Prince had passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a big night with uh, honoring Prince, and we had 10,000 people show up. Uh, so uh, we wanted to do something with Mary Tyler Moore. We did it on opening night. We handed out those, you know, little caps like that. And in a designated, uh, you know, half inning, we we played the opening theme song mm. and had everybody throw them in the air just like she did in the in the opening credits. So, um, you know, again, it, it's it's about having fun and knowing how to have fun sometimes with serious subjects. And and I think that's what we're very good at. Yeah, and that's something very simple to do. And even though that show came on almost 50 years ago. Yeah. We all, we all love Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, you know, exactly. Whether from her parents or reruns. That's uh, right. One, one thing I really love about your ballpark, I love the look of it. I, I love the style. It blends into the neighborhood. And then once you walk in, you got these colorful characters that roam around the stadium entertaining fans. Nerdettes, yep. uh, Girth the Flirt. Yep. Where did that idea stem from? Yeah, so th those are called usher tainers. So, so they're like your normal ushers are people that will show you to your seat and stuff like that, which we have. But these are usher tainers. They are people that will walk up and down the aisles, interact with the fans who maybe not they are not baseball fans, but they're these are actors and actresses yeah. that create their own characters, um, and, and that's their character usually for the entire entire season, unless they find that something's not working, and then they'll change it up. Um, but there are staples like you mentioned, nerd, nerdette. Um, you know, Gert the Flirt, uh, Gert the Flirts, for those people that don't know, uh, is an elderly woman that goes around with an inflatable baseball bat and she, uh, she spanks people on the rear end with the baseball bat. And then she's got, uh, lipstick kisses that she gives, you know, people on their cheek and people love it. Um, and so, uh, look, the idea came about long before I was around. And again, I've been around for 13 years and we just finished our 27th season, but in, in a way of, an idea utilizing Minnesota and specifically the Twin Cities that, believe it or not, I'm pretty sure has more actors and actresses per, per capita than uh, Los Angeles does, where I'm from. Um, I've never met more actors and actresses, and I lived in Southern California for 18 years. So uh, it seems like at every turn, these you know there's an actor and actress you run into. And I think they wanted to utilize that, and they thought the best way to do that was to create these, these usher-tainers, and that's how it came about. So I'm looking on your Wikipedia page here for the Saints and, and yeah. some of these uh, some of these promotions that you guys have done. Um, the Minnesota Atheists one is, yep. is interesting. And, yep. and one thing that kind of jumped out at me is uh, you have mentioned about pushing the envelope. Have you guys gotten any kind of serious trouble where you've had not the not the the great uh, embracing but yep. but some backlash oh sure and and i'll give you two and you you brought up one of them so the the atheist night came about there was a billboard on the highway that was promoting the fact that the atheists were having their national convention in the twin cities and this was this had to be seven eight years ago now and one of our salespeople was driving and saw the billboard and like any good salesperson they reached out to the atheists and said hey notice you're having your national convention we, you guys aren't going to be doing stuff 24-7, so why don't you take a night and come out to the ballpark, you know, bring a group out. And they said, that's a great idea. And then they asked the question, what would it cost to sponsor an entire night? And so the salesperson told them, and 
the, the, the person said, great, we'd love to sponsor the entire night. Now, the night was called A Night of Unbelievable Fun, presented by the, the atheists. And it was going to be a night that highlighted things that people believe in that don't exist, right? The Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, aliens, things of that nature. Look, if you believe in aliens, great. I'm not trying to you know, disparage you from doing that. But for the most part, things that, that, that aren't real out there, that have no tangible, just like the atheists, you know, again, they don't believe in, in that there's a God. So they wanted us to have fun with this. Well, they posted that they were hosting a night at the ballpark. Some blogger saw this and said, the Saints are ho hosting Atheist Night at the ballpark, which was not what it was. It was a night of unbelievable fun presented by the Minnesota Atheists. Well, this blogger put this out there. Me a media person in the Twin Cities saw this and regurgitated what the blogger wrote. And then it caught, like, I mean, it blew up after that. People saw it, and no one called us to find out what this night was. It made it so far, it made it to Fox News, like not our local Fox affiliate, but like Fox News, and they crucified us for this. And we got, I'm telling you, we got handwritten hate mail, we got emails, we got people saying they would never spend a dollar with us again. I mean, it was unbelievable. We had, and this is why I love working for the organization I do, we had a, a meeting that must have lasted three minutes on whether we should do this night or not. And in three <laughs> minutes, we said, we know what this night is about. We're going to do it. And we did. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nobody picketed out in front of the ballpark. No one tried to burn the ballpark down. Um, and the night was so successful that the, the atheists wanted to do it next, the, the following year. And so we did it the next year, a night of unbelievable fun, the second coming. And, uh, and it was a huge success. And we ran it for about, I think, five or six years. And then the novelty wore off. Again, that's the thing, right? You've seen the joke over and over again, and it's not it doesn't have the shock value anymore. So the atheists weren't getting out of it what they had been getting out of it for five, six years. So so they stopped it. Um, so so yeah, that's that's the one where I've I've seen the most vitriol. The other one that was my favorite, that we got complaints on both sides, which is how you know you've got a good promotion. <laughs> We had we had a uh, I think it was a senator from Idaho. He was a senator from Idaho that came to the state of Minnesota. He was in the Minneapolis St. Paul airport, went into a bathroom stall. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he tapped his foot up and down three times and then slid his foot to the person's foot in the stall next to him and kind of like brushed up against it. Well, in the gay community, this is a calling card saying that you're interested. Well, the problem was that and this was. This has to be 11 or 12 years ago now. The problem was uh, solicitation had become rampant inside the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport bathrooms, if you can believe that. So the person in the stall next to this guy was an undercover cop. They had staked out the bathrooms. So the <laughs> I senator, remember the story, yeah. The senator got arrested. So the sign of, of a good promotion is, is it relevant is it close to home? Can you make some waves out of it? And so we we had to act fast. So we had come up with this idea to do what we called a bobble foot, which was a bathroom, <laughs> stall, a bathroom stall with a foot that bobbled up and down, much like the guy tapping his foot up and down. And this happened in like October or November. So 
it, like six or seven months away from our season. So we put out a press release saying we were doing this night in May, blah, blah, blah. And it got no attention, none whatsoever. Well, in April, the guy gets arraigned. He goes to court. And so we put out the press release, the same press release, same exact press release, didn't change it at all. And now it blows up. We're doing interviews from coast to coast. Uh, we're, in, we're on CNN. We're in Sports Illustrated. We're on ESPN. We're on MSNBC. Uh, I even heard that, that, and this tells you how long ago this was, Jay Leno used it as a, as a punchline in, in his, uh, uh, on The Tonight Show. Um, and we gave away, I think it was 2,000 of these bobblefoot. Well, by the time the gates opened that night, there was about a two-mile-long line of people waiting to get these, this bobblefoot. And not only that, they were going on eBay for $250. Uh, and I always joke, if I had half a brain, I would have kept a box for myself and sold them for 250 bucks a pop, but I'm not that smart. But, but the controversy lied on both sides of the aisle. The gay community was mad at us because they thought we were making fun of the, the, the gay community. And the other side was mad because we were promoting the gay community. So we heard it from both sides, which is how you know you've got a good promotion when you piss off both sides. So there you go. And that's what it's like to work for the St. Paul Saints right there. Yeah, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's common. Uh, many other uh, no. independent teams out there. It's no. uh, it's truly one of a kind experience. You know, a lot yeah. of people ask me, they say, Mark, what are your favorite ballparks? And I always talk about St. Paul and some people don't know what independent baseball is. And I have to describe yeah. Uh, one thing, one thing I didn't know. Minnesota does not have any affiliated ball. Is that correct? Nope. Not a one. Yeah, like a like an affiliated minor league team. Yeah, not affiliated yeah, no, minor league no, team. Yeah, no, there no. is not a minor league affiliated team in uh, in the state of Minnesota. By the way, I just looked on eBay. You can get a Saints bobblefoot for four hundred dollars right now. Four hundred. Four hundred. It's gone up in price, huh? Yeah. There you go. I got to see this. I had never heard of this before. Yeah. That's, uh... On top of that, on the bathroom stall on the outside. We wrote for a good time call and then put our phone number on there. So much like what you would see inside of a bathroom stall, like when people write. So we wrote on this or, or had them put on the on each one of them for a good time call and then put our phone number on them. So that's uh, it's great marketing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. A four hundred dollar bobblefoot. I, I, you know, I had a Bob Gibson bobblehead that was twenty five bucks going for sale. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, unbelievable. What's so what's next for the Saints? Uh, this year you opened up the Baseball City Museum, which yep. looks like a fabulous addition uh, yep. to the baseball uh, stadium. Could you explain a little bit more to? Yeah. About so, that? yeah, the City of Baseball Museum, we wanted to honor the history of uh, baseball in the city of St. Paul, as well as the St. Paul Saints. And the Saints history dates back to the late 1800s. Um, and uh, it, 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 there's just there's so much history there. Uh, it used to be a Dodgers affiliate back in the 50s, a, a Brooklyn Dodgers affiliate, and uh, so you know it's it, our our owner came up with this, Marv Goldklang, who, uh, who who's actually like a two or three percent owner of the New York Yankees and has been since the 70s. Um, he he came across uh, th this little piece of. I think it was like a, a note or like a promissory note or, or something like that um, that was for the St. Saint Paul Saints back in the early 1900s. And he's like, wow, look, I mean, the history here. And he started digging around and, and learned a little bit more about the history. And he's like, we should open a museum. And so we, we did. And it's it's a free museum that people can come in. And uh, there's a lot of interactive stuff in there. And, 
it also honors the the history of baseball in St. Paul. So guys that were born in St. Paul, Dave Winfield, Paul Molitor, uh, Jack Morris, um, uh, Joe Maurer, um, so people like that, and it also honors them. It's it's pretty cool to to check out, um, and and really a one of a kind in minor league baseball. I, I don't think there is a minor league team that has a museum like we do. I mean, it is a, I mean, it's it's a little over two thousand square feet. I mean, it's it's pretty large uh, for a minor league baseball museum. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah we had uh, somebody else review it this year and. Yeah. They took some pictures of that. I was like, "Oh wow! I wish I wish I was up there yeah. again to see it." I'll actually be up in Minnesota soon. Okay, but uh, it's after the season, so. Oh, you can you can come check it out. It's open year round. You just oh. gotta you gotta let us know, and we'll set up a time. I gotta for you let to, you know. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Okay, that's that's excellent because um, you know the stadium just has so many wonderful features, and yep. you know uh, you collect rainwater that's used to flush the toilets. You have yep. solar panels that are used for electricity. Yep. Uh, just the forward thinking that uh, that exists there is uh, just ahead of the curve. Yep, no doubt. So, well, we'd like to uh, thank you for coming on here. If anybody else has a question, go for it. <laughs> so, uh, independent baseball, you, you've got a quite an eclectic mix of, of various kinds of players that come through. Some are... are trying to come up and have never really had a huge a huge minor league career. Some are trying to hang on from a minor league career. Some are actually coming down from majors. Um, what what can you tell us about, or maybe like who have been your favorite players who would have, who would have name recognition, who really got what it was like to, to play for the Saints? And conversely, yeah. you don't have to name names if you don't want to, um, how many of those of those major leaguers just just don't get it? Well, I, I don't know if they don't get it, but there there are a bunch of guys that played in affiliated ball that that don't know anything about independent baseball. And when they hear independent baseball, I'm sure they think like your weekend beer league softball, right? They just don't know, and they're very apprehensive. But plenty of their former teammates played in in uh, you know independent baseball, so. They get recommendations. They hear, um, so I think they eventually get it. Um, but I would tell you that that a lot of people, uh, once they get there, they understand what it's all about. <laughs> but some of the biggest names we've ever had: Daryl Strawberry played for the St. Paul Saints. Uh, Jack Morris uh, played for the St. Paul Saints. Jack Morris actually finished his professional career uh, with the St. Paul Saints. The last game he ever pitched was for the Saints, not for the Twins, not for the Blue Jays, not for he played for. The St. Paul Saints. That was his last game. So, um, you know, we've had some big names uh, that have uh, that have come in and played for the Saints, and uh, and and they get it. Once they get there, they understand what it's all about. Nice. And since since we're the Stadium Journey podcast, Ron, I want to ask you a couple of stadium related yeah. questions. Um, it seems like the the trend recently and uh, maybe more in the Frontier League than uh, in the American Association. It's been teams jumping ship and uh, leaving Indy Leagues and going into, like, summer collegiate leagues where the overhead yep. is a little less. Yep. Uh, do you see any storm clouds on the horizon for Indy Ball? No, not for Indy Ball. Uh, there, there might – look, there are, what, I don't know, six or so independent leagues out there, um, and some are just not on stable footing, right? I mean, and, right. and you've seen the turnover on that side. Uh, I would tell you that – uh, the Frontier League, 
the American Association and the Atlantic League uh, are all are all fine. Uh, I think the Can-Am League. Uh, well, being in New to, England, you don't have to tell me about the Can-Am. Yeah, yeah. You, you depends who you talk to and what yeah. day it is with the Can-Am I, League. I think they're going to have to they're going to have to do some things, um, but but they may restructure. They may uh, they may do something just to to change it up a little bit be, because. I know that there's some teams in that league that are struggling, but I, I, what I would like to see is, is less is more, right? Like you're going to get more talent back when the Saints started in 93, maybe a couple of independent leagues out there, maybe just one. I'm not even sure to be honest with you, but that meant that there was more talent. Like, right. That that's how it was. There was just so much talent and it was great to see. And I think after a while, you start adding all these independent leagues and the talent kind of gets watered down. Now, I think we're going back to the way it was because players know and agents more specifically know that there are probably two or three extremely strong leagues. The Frontier League's a little younger. So, like, if you're a double-A guy, you're not going to the Frontier League. So that's usually guys that were in college that didn't get drafted or, you know, a year or two out and they played rookie ball. So so they're going to go there. Um, but the... But the American Association and the Atlantic League, I think, are the two top dogs. And so now you're starting to see the talent level rise up again because agents understand, players understand. And so, therefore, those two leagues are getting all the big-time talent. And I think it's back to the way it was. Um, Look, I'm not adverse to leagues popping up on the West Coast or down South or whatever because it makes it easier maybe for some people to go. But look, you can't just start a league and expect it's going to be successful, right? You can't just open the doors and expect, you know, 15,000 people are going to show up if you build a new ballpark. It doesn't work that way. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of smart people, and, and that's not always the way it is. I think there are a lot of people out there just looking for a quick buck that, you know, oh, I'm going to convince XYZ City to build me a new ballpark, and then I'm going to capitalize on that for a year or two, and then I'm going to get out of Dodge because I've got my money, and I can see that, you know what, this, there's no strong support here, and it's all going to fall by the by the wayside. But I'm going to get out of town before that happens. I've I've watched that happen before, um, a few times. So I just think there are there are some people out there that are looking to make a quick buck, and and they they give independent baseball a bad name. Yeah, the Empire Pro League comes to mind when you say that. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there's <laughs> Lake some, Erie Fielders. Yeah, it, look, it, it's just that's how it is. It's unfortunate. Yeah. But people see the success of, uh, of the American Association or, you know, whatever. Look, I'll use the Saints as an example. People see the Saints and, and the success that we had, and we built a ballpark five years ago. So then you think, well, all I got to do is build a ballpark, and people are going to show up. But people have done that, and it didn't happen, and they're like, well, how come it didn't work? Well, because they don't see all the hard work that goes into it for eight months out of the year, and more specifically, for 27 years to get to this point. It just doesn't happen overnight, so... Yeah, go for it. Uh, outside of outside of, of course, St. Paul. Yeah. Um, what are some of your other favorite stadiums that you would travel to? Yeah. Uh, in your capacity. Uh, in our league, uh, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I like Winnipeg. I like the feel of the city. Uh, I, I like the ballpark. It, it's a little bit older now, but but I do like the ballpark, and I love their fan base. Their fan base, especially in Winnipeg, and I know the Jets have now come back there. Uh, but before the Jets got there, uh, they were the they were the only show in town. Um, and I, I get they got the Bombers and all that, but uh, you know they're different seasons. Um, 
you know, I think since the Jets have come there, they've they've lost uh, they've lost a little bit of that just because now all the focus is on on the Jets. But they still their fan base is is great. Um, yeah, you know, it's very funny, and and I'm sure you guys have seen the stories. But I enjoy going to Kansas City. I mean, I know that the stories have come out that they've got trouble and things may go awry. I think the league is going to step in. I don't think it's going to be a big deal as, as everyone's making it out to be. Um, but I, I love the city of Kansas City. Um, I, I love uh, I love the atmosphere. Um, look, I'm, I'm a pretty healthy guy, but I won't lie. Partake in barbecue when I go there. It is uh, <laughs> it's top. It is we don't talk I think it's a lot. That, that's right. Uh, that's right. Um, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, look, there are, there are good cities that, that we go to and places I enjoy, and I can find something positive about everywhere we go. Um, you know, look, your league is only going to be as strong as the weakest link that you have. And, and all I want to see is, is our weakest links in our league just get better because it just makes the entire league better. Um, and I also spent four years in the Florida state league. Um, there were plenty of places I loved going. They didn't, they don't draw as well in the Florida state league. It's not, it's not a very good drawing league cause it's, you know, 90 degrees and 90% humidity in the summer there. Um, but, uh, you know, Daytona, uh, which was a Cubs affiliate. I yeah, Daytona's so, nice. Yeah, um, I loved going there when I was in Fort Myers. I loved going to Daytona. It's it's beautiful. I mean, there's a, the ballpark's right there on the beach. I mean, you can't you can't ask for much better than that. So, um, you know, uh, there there are plenty of great places, and I'm hoping that my career doesn't end with the St. Paul Saints. That I eventually catch on with a major league team, and then I can travel around to other ballparks. You know, it's uh, it's the goal of every broadcaster. So. Yeah, and Milwaukee and Chicago are two yep. uh, yeah. two new ballparks yeah, in the American 100%. Association, and yeah. I'm sure I, they're pushing the boundaries as well. Yeah, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention that. I, for, first of all, Chicago has done a tremendous job, and and this is nice. this is um, I, I guess a compliment to the Saints. They they took the architecture firm that built our ballpark to build theirs, so they saw some things in CHS Field they liked. And, and and got the same architecture firm to design their ballpark. It's a beautiful ballpark in a great area. Um, you know, it's it's about 20 minutes or so outside of Chicago, so it's not in the heart of Chicago. Uh, Milwaukee, uh, I'm I'm willing to give them another year. The ballpark's okay. It's not it's not great, but they they had to rush to to get it done. They were behind schedule. Um, so I'm willing to give them a, a second year and and hope that th- their goal is to build the entire area around that ballpark. Yeah. I think once they do that, it's going to be phenomenal. But and I'm not trying to disparage Milwaukee. I just thought it was okay for a first-year ballpark. But again, as I've told everyone, I'm willing to give them a second year. I think it's going to be much better in year two. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, when I went to Milwaukee, it felt like that whole area is under construction. Yep, yep. And I would give it a couple years. Uh, Nashville, which is a AAA ballpark, yep. when I first went there, that whole area was under construction and yeah. kind of going from one phase to another. You know, four years, three, uh, four or five years later, the place is – Amazing. Yeah. So no doubt. Same should be the same for Milwaukee in a similar fashion. Yeah, yeah. definitely agree with you on that. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually uh hit a bunch of parks in the American Association this summer. I was really upset I couldn't fit the Saints into my my schedule because after Mark Mark had been talking up the Saints for years on this podcast. So it was like, Yeah, we gotta we gotta hit St. Paul. I do. It didn't work it's... out, but we uh we are we were able to hit Sioux City, Sioux Falls, and Lincoln on our Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, we did Lincoln. I love Lincoln and, and the yeah. view of, of the football stadium out beyond yeah, center field. It's just the, the basketball arena down the right field line. Uh, I get, look, I give Sioux city a lot of credit. Look, there's not, there's not a lot to it, but they've put some money into that place. They've done a lot that, of what 
as as much as they can for for that area. I give them credit. Like I, I don't expect everyone to have a CHS field, right? That's unfair. But all I want you to do is try, and they've tried. Sioux Falls, they need a new ballpark in the worst way. They need it. It's it it, it just it it can't sustain it anymore. The the organization knows it. Um, Sanford, which is the big uh, medical center down there that pretty much runs the city. Um, and if you noticed in that ballpark, the Sanford Center in that parking lot. Yep. Um, but Sanford is now stepping in, talking about wanting to build a new baseball ballpark mm. uh, in, I believe, the downtown areas where is where they'd like to build it. Um, but whether that happens or not, I, I don't really know. But the, the folks with the Canaries know they need they need a new ballpark. Yeah, that was the that was the uh, the talk when I was there. And the yeah. one other AA ballpark that I had visited, and this this kind of just popped into my head because they yeah. they did something a little different this year, Grand Prairie, where they partnered with the Chinese national team. Yeah, they they actually started that last year. So yeah. last the first year they did that, they carried that over this year. Um, that it is didn't work out on the field too well. No, no, and it, it, no one expected it to. I mean, I like what they're trying to do with that, but they're not ever going to be overly competitive. Um, here's what I'll say about Grand Prairie. They had the right idea when they built that ballpark 10 years ago. They just haven't had the right people in place mm. to run that organization. Um, and it's a shame, too, because when I go there and, and they're, they're literally not drawing and it's painful to go there because, um, because it's, it's a fine ballpark and you could do some things there and you're in a major metropolitan area. So I guess we could take this chance to, uh, to thank Sean for coming on and uh, check out <laughs> – Check out the St. Paul Saints website, uh, you know, one of the best run organizations in all of independent baseball. And we were glad to have him on to talk a little bit about it so we can get into where we've been since we last got together. So, uh, Dave, would you like to start us off with where you've been in the last couple of weeks? Ooh, it's, Ooh, the uh, it's a plethora of spots that I've been to. So on the 7th. It was to University Stadium, home of the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks. And then on the 14th, it was to Warrior Field, home of the Waterloo Warriors. We had uh, two Canadian University football games. That was it for me. Now, one of the things that's neat about Warrior Field this year, they're just opening a new field house. So definitely not common in uh, Canadian University. There are tons, of course, all over the states and all over other places, but we don't have a uh, we don't have a lot of them. Uh, maybe one or two that I can think of in Ontario, and and UW is opening their own. And not that it's a huge help for the game day atmosphere or whatnot, um, but what it does two huge things. Number one, it gives them permanent. Uh, ticket window facility that is right there at the stadium because the, the field house is actually immediately behind the stadium. And the other thing, and this is massive, and I cannot stress how important this is for all Canadian University football stadiums, you need this, a bathroom. They actually have plumbing. They are important, yes. Uh, plumbing there. So gone are the porta potties now you can go in the nice field house and use the facilities if you need to. And maybe even more importantly than, you know, using the facilities, there's a good spot to wash your hands after. <laughs> so, yeah, that was it for me. So, wait a minute, so, wait a minute. So when they built this place, they built it without bathrooms? Yeah. 
It's uh, I, I call it permanently temporary. So a lot of bleachers, uh, but really no, no plumbing facilities out there. Uh, so, you know, I, that's kind of the way it goes out here is, is, you know, you want to build a program, um, you know, similar last time we were on, I talked about Carlton, you know, Carlton doesn't have any real washroom facilities either. It has, it has porta potties. Now, to be fair, when I was at Western Michigan, Western Michigan had a ton of porta potties. Uh, they did have some bathroom facilities, but a ton of porta potties. Oh, that's always a black mark for me when you got to use a porta, John. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So this Ooh. is this is big for Waterloo. I, I, you know, they're a program that's on the rise. Uh, not too long ago, they had basically mothballed the whole thing, and uh, th there was a bit of a steroid scandal. Um, that involved all of like six players or eight players or whatever. So they, they, they tanked the whole team. Uh, not the least of which in the situation was the president of the university who was going on to become the governor general. He really wanted no black marks on his record. Uh, so, you know, they really had to start from scratch all over again. And even being like a rival for my guys, uh, you know, I give them a lot of credit. They've they've done a pretty good job of of building their program, and uh, and building some of the facilities to go along with it. All right. So a little little rest after some big trips for you. Yeah, a little rest. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. How no. about you, Mark? Where have you been the last couple of weeks? Anywhere exciting? Uh, I did go to Schumann Stadium. That's the home of Ball State football. My, my original plan was to check out University of Illinois football and Eastern Illinois football. Uh, those plans did not work out. Uh, but on the spur of the moment, I, I drove the 45 minutes to Muncie, Indiana. It was a beautiful afternoon, and it was a very nice crowd out there. Uh, if you check out the latest review, the fanfare score has risen quite extensively. It feels like every time I go out there in the past, it's late in the season when it's cold and nobody cares about the team. But it was a packed house. Not a packed house, but it was a very, very large crowd. People were tailgating. Uh, great enthusiasm at the uh, at the game. You know, twenty dollar tickets to get in for adults. Uh, they also had a thirty dollar combo package uh, that included two craft beers from a local brewery in town. So, you know, Ball State football, a, a nice looking stadium, nothing fancy, but you know, it was the perfect day to see a game, and I had a lot of fun. And you know, you can definitely check out the review and. Uh, see what I liked about it. That's one of uh, only four spots that I have left for uh, the Mid-America Conference in football. Yeah, okay. And after, little, little by the match. time we come back, by the time we come back uh, next time, it'll be three. Oh, so, where are you going to next? Next is we'll uh, Kent State. Oh, but yeah, and you know what? Mac, Mac football is... There's something to be said there. It's it's good. You, it's not as uh, overwhelming as as you know the big power conferences. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Without the big huge price points too, I might add. There you go. That's, that's would you would you pay at Ball State, Mark? It was twenty dollars. I actually, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little a little funny story. Uh, it was a twenty dollar ticket, and oh. but I was wearing an Orlando. City jersey, purple jersey. I stood out among the red. 
uh, that were at the game. <laughs> and somebody from one of the tents called me over and he's like, hey, you got to take to the game. I said, no, not yet. And he goes, oh, here, here you go. Take one of our tickets. So I got in for free. And um, but to, yeah, it, it, you know, I, it was twenty dollars to get in. So have, or, have Orlando oh. City jersey will travel. Have Orlando City, yeah, just wear this purple jersey. I guess people, you know, purple is kind of that mutual color. So, <laughs> and Sean yeah. has made it back with us. Uh, yeah. he found his way back. That's, that's my fault. I, I I didn't check my uh the, how much battery I had left, so my computer died on me. So I had to find ah. an out real quick. So that's my fault. I apologize. No problem. No problem We've at seen, all, Sean. We've seen a lot worse yeah. on this show. So. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were actually kind of just finishing up. Uh, so yeah, that's okay. We, so we never got to really properly say goodbye to you. But um, b- before you, you before you disappear again, <laughs> would you like to uh, take a minute and, and uh, promote your social media your, for yourself and for the Saints? Yeah, no doubt. First of all, I want to thank you guys. I, I love what you do. I, I read what you guys write, um, and, and I think you guys do a tremendous job. Uh, for, for those people interested in checking out the St. Saint Paul Saints, you can go to saintsbaseball.com. Uh, you can also follow us on every social media account out there at ST Paul Saints. Um, and then for myself, uh, I have a podcast that I do where I interview uh, play-by-play broadcasters from the four major sports as well as the NCAA. I sit down with them in person. So I've interviewed everyone from uh, Joe Buck to Doc Emmerich. Uh, to the regional broadcasters for every single team. And I've, I've got uh, about 170 episodes live right now. Uh, I'm trying to think, Sean McDonough. Um, so, yeah, so I, I've interviewed a, a, lot of, a lot of guys, and um, you can find it. It's called The Voice Behind the Voice. So, you know, Apple, uh, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Um, and then you can follow me on uh, Twitter at The Voice BTV. So, at The Voice BTV. So, if people want to check it out. Oh, wow, that's wow. great. I'm definitely going to have to check that out, Sean. Yeah. So, and, but, yeah, uh, but, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to thank you for coming on, and yeah. we'd love to have you on again sometime. And, yeah, thank you very much. And if you have me on again, I promise that my battery will be full, and uh, I, won't, I won't drop the call. But, uh, but thank you, guys. You guys have been tremendous. Keep up the great work with everything you do, and, uh, and I look forward to seeing uh, the ballparks you travel to in the future. All right. And All right, congrats well. on your championship and your, and your wonderful parade, Sean. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye, guys. All right, that's Sean Aronson from the St. Paul Saints. Uh, glad we got to have a proper goodbye. Yeah, that's <laughs> he, that, that was that was a great conversation. You know, it's uh, the Saints are one of those organizations I've always sort of looked up to, and that's uh, that was great to have somebody come on here and, and share in great detail uh, the ins and outs of that organization. Because mm. he's right. If everybody could do what the Saints did, do, my God, independent baseball would be. <laughs> Killing it right now, sure, and, sure. and a lot do, a lot do. But. And for those of you who are, you know, affiliated baseball snobs, man, oh, there is some great a other, a lot, yes, a lot, Mark, a lot of great other baseball all across the country in places you may not expect. Oh, you just, you're just gonna call me out there live on the show, huh? Just like that. You're not only yeah. an affiliated snob, Dave. You, you don't do anything below AAA. You said no. <laughs> well, well, I dabbled. The, the London. The London Rippers ruined him forever. Is that, is that what happened? Well, yeah. The, the, I, the, that's, I got, I've got two other teams, too. I got the London Rippers, and in the very, 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 very short-lived Canadian Baseball League, I got the London yeah. Monarchs and the Niagara Stars, which, yeah, you know what, I, 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 I enjoyed those. But uh, yeah. 
Well, you know, you got to pay the bills, and apparently they weren't paying the bills. So the All Star Game, that was it. No, and I, I think he's right. Some people build a stadium, kind of like in High Point, North Carolina, and they just expect people to come. I wish that organization the best, but I, I want to see what they do for year two because uh, I think attendance was a little bit below what they had expected this year. That, and that's something that I've thought about um, indie baseball, and I I don't I don't I do not know enough about it, but. <laughs> It just seems to me to be a, a terrific risk for a team like the Chicago Dogs or the Milwaukee Milkmen to go out and invest millions and millions and millions of dollars on a structure without having the backing of like like you said with the Saints, you know, they've had they had all these years before they built a ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go like Chicago, like Milwaukee, to go into a major league market and build a minor league facility for a minor league team that has no other connection for that city. From a business perspective, that seems like a really tall order Tall order to me. Well, you know, it depends who you talk to because a lot of these leagues do well outside of major league cities. I mean, I you know, the New York sense. area. New York has Long Island. They have Somerset. Uh, they have Rockland. They have the Jackals. Uh, Philadelphia had Camden at one point. Yeah, they all, if, but New York also has more people than any other city in yeah. the United States. Well, well, Chicago, I mean, they have Windy City, uh, Schaumburg, uh, Gary, those are other independent ball clubs. And surprisingly enough, Gary draws pretty well. If, if Gary was in a nicer area, it probably would draw a few more people. But a lot of people in Northeast Indiana do not want to drive into Chicago, deal with the traffic, pay $5 across the bridge. You know, pay whatever tolls they pop up on those roads up and there. Forty dollars to park and all and that stuff. Forty dollars yeah. to park. They just go to Gary and watch the game. There's there's cheap beer. Uh, Devil's Trumpet Brewery uh, has a stand out there. I think the ballpark can use a little little touch up, but uh, it, it it's almost like a niche market. It works sometimes and it doesn't. I think you need to have great management, kind of like the Saints, to kind of get that message out there to the fans. But you're right. It, it is a risky move. I see High Point being risky, but then you got Sugarland. What the heck is Sugarland, which is right outside of Houston, doing in the Atlantic League, which is Pennsylvania and New Jersey teams? The, well, the plan was to have a couple teams out there so they could have some, uh, yeah, some but, local friends. But I mean, what are, they, what are they waiting for? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they should and, join the investors. American Association. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that, it would make more sense. That's what. Uh, has to be. I, I don't know the inside scoop, but that had to have been a big issue for the Canadian Baseball League is they had a team in Victoria, they had a team in Saskatoon, they had a team in Calgary, they had a team in Niagara, they had a team in London, they had a team in Montreal, well, they never played there. Floating right? around Montreal, mm-hmm. apparently. A team in Trois Rivieres. You know, making that road trip. And crowds of about a thousand, a yeah, thousand the, people. Yeah, the, the travel, yeah. The travel stinks. Yeah, yeah. And, and so making that travel schedule from Trois Rivières to Victoria, that's yeah. a that's a three day bus ride. Yeah, and a lot of those markets now are in the Collegiate League, and they're succeeding. Uh, Calgary market and the Victoria market. And Calgary was a Calgary was a Triple A market. That was a Triple A. Yeah, that was a Triple A. So, uh, you know, the only. Trying to think, and I think Winnipeg and Ottawa, yeah, and Ottawa, you know, we've heard their trials and tribulations. Uh, they just happen to play in a stadium that is, I think, 
past his usefulness. You know, they probably need a new stadium, but is ownership going to build that? Is the city? God, the city won't build it. No. They, they, Just they, go ask go ask Gene Melnick how much money he's getting from the city to – Yeah, it's not going to happen. To, happen, to but, upgrade the senators. But, yeah. you know, and, and maybe, uh, you know – Maybe I am a little snobby, and we do have in Ontario, we have inter, uh, inter-county baseball, and it's been around. Kitchener Panthers. 100 years. 1919. Yeah, 100 um, years. One of the reasons it's successful is all those guys can take the bus and sleep in their own bed at night. Mm-hmm. Right. right? So yeah. bus ride to to Burlington from Kitchener, an hour. Yeah. You, and, your, and for, your business model has to be on point in these leagues. Yeah. You can't be too big. It's yeah. killed. It's killed bigger leagues than uh, the Canadian Independent League. Yeah, and and for all those people listening, the Somerset Patriots they they drew five grand. They do an amazing job. Uh, I grew up, you know, I grew up 15 miles away from the ballpark. They have been killing it for 20 years. Uh, some of the some of the biggest crowds you'll see in independent baseball uh, are there. Long Island does a fabulous job. York, Lancaster. Uh, so there's a lot of other great independent ballparks and ball clubs, but um, you know. The Empire State League. I don't know if that's, oh, that's something that's... you want to. <laughs> you want to hype up. a ball game with twelve people there. You know, and, <laughs> and I and I've been. You know, one of my worst baseball experiences was at the Lake County Fielders, which was in Zion, Illinois, just in the northern suburbs of Chicago. That stadium wasn't even built yet, and they were playing baseball games there. And then I think uh, a couple nights after I went to the game, the radio announcer quit on air. Yeah, that was legendary. Nine players left. I think Jose Canseco was with the visiting team, which was from California, and he offered to pitch for the other team. So, you know, the good and bad of independent baseball, and I guess, uh, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest team. And Saints are definitely the strongest team, and I I think the American Association will, will figure out what to do with some of those weaker teams to make them much better in the future as we head into the 20s. Yeah. Well, and and here's here's how like independent baseball will go head to head with sort of how major sports is changing. Uh, one of the things I see is how in the NBA it's becoming more and more about the players and getting the fans to be fans of the players. So, you know, Mark, you 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 teach at a high school. How many of those kids are not Laker <laughs> fans, but they're LeBron James fans? Or they're James Harden fans, or they're Kevin Durant, Stephen fans, Curry, right? Yep. No, you're right. Whoever, take your pick. You can't be a fan of the players in independent ball. You have to be a fan of the team because who knows how long those guys are there? A year, two years, three years, maybe. Like, you can't hang on to those guys. So you yeah. gotta, you gotta love the laundry. Yeah, and a lot of these guys are playing and what. Some people term the bottom of the ninth. You know, they're they're guys in their thirties and they're still trying to hang on. I don't know. I know the Atlantic League was sort of like that at one point, uh, but you know, a baseball as a whole. I mean, I don't have a lot of kids that are that have major league baseball players uh, as their their favorite athletes. It's usually football and it's basketball. So I think baseball as a whole. You know, what I see with independent baseball is if you can put a team in a certain market. And you can attract people there for an entertainment night, aside from the movies or going out to eat or going to the amusement park. You know that's where you're going to be successful. Uh, if you go into an area where you have other options with baseball, like in Chicago, 
you may see some plus and minuses. Uh, if you have affordable tickets, I mean, we didn't even talk about the ticket price plan. It's six bucks to get into a St. Paul Saints game. That's crazy. Now that's a lawn seat, but six bucks into it to see a baseball game in 2019 and into 2020. That's cheaper than to go to the Kitchener Panthers. That's cheaper to go to, yeah, exactly, to, to go to some other independent ball clubs. I, I don't think that's how, for me to go to AAA baseball, I'm paying $10 for a lawn seat. Oh, wait a second. You said $6 American? $6. Yeah, no, it's about the same price. Yeah, $6 American. So, <laughs> you know, you have some families, You and then they we'd even talk about the beer dabbler. I think it's 40 taps of local Minnesota beer in this one section of the ballpark, and you may have people just go in there to just get lit up during the games. There you go. <laughs> it's, uh, it is highly impressive, that beer dabbler. That's awesome. So uh, from the beer dabbler, I guess we'll pivot into uh, <laughs> to, well. to where I dabbled the last couple of weeks. Well, there you go. So, uh, let's see. I, I didn't go very many places. This is the time of year where, uh, you know, I'm waiting for hockey to start and really to get going. So uh, I did go to the first ever – Finals appearance by the Lowell Spinners at LaLosher Park. So that, that was interesting. They ended up losing the, the game, and they lost the series to the Brooklyn Cyclones. So the Cyclones were the New York Penn League champions. Uh, won't get into LaLosher Park. You know, typical. what's funny about minor league baseball, I'm going to jump into it a little bit, is how the playoffs don't mean a damn thing. No, they don't. And you, you go to a playoff game, and this has happened. I've been to playoffs in indie ball and AAA, AA, and single A. And, you know, you get... 500 people there for a playoff game. It's really a strange phenomenon. And like compared to minor league hockey, where I have been to a sold out Dunkin' Donuts Center for a, for a Calder Cup Finals game. So it's it's really funny the dichotomy and the, the just the non-emphasis on the playoffs. You could probably just like Labor Day comes, all right, season's over, everybody go home. We don't care. We don't need a champion. So uh, let's see. Last weekend from there, I went to. Some uh, Major League Lacrosse. So uh, I got to see the beginning of oh, the yeah. PLL, the new the stadium. professional lacrosse league. And I, I got to go to, not the finale, but pretty close to it, of the Major League Lacrosse's Boston Cannons. They have moved. They are the only original MLL team still in their same city, believe it or not. The MLL downsized to six teams this year. Uh, Boston mm-hmm. was one of them. They moved to Veterans Memorial Stadium, which is in Quincy, Mass., which is a suburb about... 10 miles away from Boston on the South Shore. Um, an old, old place, so old that it was built during the WPA, Works Pro- Progress Administration, back uh, in the 30s. From the outside, it looks very much like a 1930s vintage stadium. It's got a big brick wall. It's got the wrought iron gates you go in. But inside, the city and the cannons have invested millions of dollars in it. And it's actually a very nice place to go see a game. I had actually been there once before for an actually uh, a band competition. One of my daughters was in the, uh, not the marching band, what's the, the flag wavers? What are they called? Color guard. Color guard. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if she listens to this, she's going to say, what? I uh, went to a competition there, and it was a very much an old, at the time, this was maybe 10 years ago, you know, wooden, not wooden bleachers, but old metal bleachers, uh, very uncomfortable, you know, not much to, to really talk about. But the Cannons have, and the city of Quincy have, Put some money into it. There are nice, comfortable seats. Leg room. I have never been in a place with this much leg room. I could stretch my legs all the way out. Now, granted, I have short legs, but I could stretch them all the way out and not hit the seat in front of me. Never been in a place with that much leg room before. Uh, brand new sound system, brand new uh, video board, 
And one thing about this experience was the crowd was in constant motion. Uh, kids with lacrosse sticks playing catch, and they had a fan fest with actually even live music before the game, which was a nice treat. Wow. Uh, kids playing cornhole, uh, you know, had a pop a shot with the lacrosse sticks. So a lot of activity, a lot of distraction from the game. And I mean, I'm a lacrosse fan anyway, so I don't need the distraction. But, you know, it's it was a it was a fun time. My my one quibble would be the price. It was pretty pretty pricey, at least in my mind. The cheapest tickets were thirty bucks. Yeah, that's kind of steep. Even with free parking and, the and cheap food. Yeah, well, it it's a place that gets used for soccer and football, and you know the Quincy High School and North Quincy High School both use it for their home field, so it gets a lot of use. So yeah, you got the football lines and the soccer lines and the lacrosse lines. That's never fun. But yeah, a little pricey, but all in all, a very fun time. And uh, I'd, I'd go back. They've got one more game the regular season. I would head back there if I wasn't already doing something. The ML, MLL is doing their championship weekend up in Denver. So they're playing the two semifinal games, I think, on a Friday, and then the championship game on a Sunday. So just like the uh, NCAA does it on the Final Four. So, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, the MLL is drafting tonight. I, have, I don't recall Major League Lacrosse being in Denver for their championship weekend ever. It always seems to be in Annapolis. Yeah. So, I mean, Denver is – they're leading the league in attendance. They're, hey, they're no, good on year. them. So, yeah. And lacrosse is growing like wildfire on that area. Yeah, Denver does extremely well. They play at Mile High Stadium. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. extremely well. If you want to call an average yeah. of 7,000 fans a game. Which well, 7,000 is good, yeah. But yeah, and that's where I think the Canons have gotten it right, because in the past they played at Harvard Stadium, at Gillette Stadium, and you know, even if you get a crowd of 10,000, which is a great crowd, you put it in Gillette Stadium, man, and it's just bouncing off the wall, the sound is bouncing off the walls. So you stick a crowd of five, four or 5,000 in a 5,000, 6,000 seat place, you got a great atmosphere, and I think that's where they did it right. Yeah. Well, I remember in 2001 when the league started, they had the New Jersey Pride and they played at Somerset Patriots, which was an independent ballpark. Uh, and then they played over at New Jersey Jackals, which was another independent ballpark. Every year the team moved around until yeah. until they just disappeared. So, uh, yeah, you have to get it right. Yeah, that was the fate of a lot of uh, NLL, not NL, MLL teams. MLL, yeah. I always mix – the way I remember it is N for indoor. No, that's how yeah, I no, no. Well, that's how I try to differentiate the two. And then this past Saturday, I went up to uh, Bryant University in Smithfield, Rhode Island, caught a game at the newly rechristened, well, two years ago, the Beern Stadium. So it was called Bulldog Stadium, but uh, one of the donors, one of the boosters gave a nice sum of money. So they, they named the stadium after him. Must be nice. Yeah. Uh, the one thing, of, you know, uh, it's a typical FCS ballpark, uh, ballpark stadium. Not much there. It's, you know, seats about 5,000. They've done a lot of improvements, so now it actually looks like a stadium. It used to be this big empty field where there was just football field and a big grandstand. Now they've landscaped it, got it closed in on the other side, got a nice uh, weight tra training center on one end. So it's, it's a nice place, cheap, like you said, Mark, $15 to see a game. So that's a big draw. Laid-back atmosphere It's what you would expect from an FCS place in New England. Nice. So that's where I have been. So that just about does it for us this week. I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank Sean Aronson for joining us. That was a great conversation. That was very nice. From the St. Saint Paul Saints. Uh, Dan is not talking tonight. He's feeling very much under the weather. We thank him for uh, continuing to engineer for us, though. I hope he's wearing his little train hat. 
and you can follow him on Twitter at DanLaw83. And Mark, how about you? Any stadium journeys planned the next couple of weeks? Where can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Ballpark Hunter. Uh, this weekend, I am in uh, Minneapolis for a wedding, and I am uh, going to check out the Twins on Saturday. I hope that works out. And, yeah, it's going to be like in and out and going to see a Twins game and coming back uh, Sunday. So let's just hope everything works out. I don't want to... I don't want to say I'm going to do it, and then I don't do it. But I, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely be up there. Uh, I don't care what the wife says. And I was hoping to get to um, some college footballs that time of year again. Uh, I do want to still make it out to Eastern Illinois sometime this year. So I'm hoping next Saturday uh, will be that visit. And uh, you know, I got a week off from school coming up soon, so I may just take those uh, those little longer trips to some fields we need to cover. All right, Dave, how about you? Any stadium journeys planned? Where can our listeners follow your journeys? Yeah, on Friday, I'm taking my nephew for his birthday to the first game of the season for the Kitchener Rangers. Hockey is back. Woo! Uh, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. And then uh, on the weekend, taking my dad for his little birthday trip, and it's to Dick Stadium, home of the Kent State Golden Flashes. So we're heading there. And then uh, ESPN totally hosed our backup or our, our second day plan, which was to go to the Cleveland Indians until they decided to make it a six o'clock game, which makes no sense because the Browns are playing that night too. So Cleveland is going to be absolutely crazy. So uh, it looks like we're going to stop at Comerica Park on the way home for the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox. And then my absolute last baseball game of the season is going to be on the Monday because, you know, it's gift-giving season. So my wife got a hold of tickets in the uh, TD Clubhouse section, which is the bougie section behind behind uh, home plate in the second deck. And we're taking my father-in-law and my sister for their birthdays uh, to see the Jays and Orioles. So there's actually like a, a 40% chance that the Jays could win this game. And then following that, it is homecoming at Laurier for some uh, Laurier Golden Hawks football. And you can follow all of that stuff on Twitter and Instagram at ProFan9. Speaking of last baseball games, I have two tickets to a Red Sox game on September the 28th that I cannot use. If anybody wants them, hit me up on Twitter at PuckManRI. Uh, as far as where I'm going for uh, games the next couple of weeks, uh, let's see. Saturday, I'm going to the second ever division one home game for the newest fcs team in the country the merrimack warriors so they're playing at Dwayne stadium they played one game home game already had a standing room only crowd looking forward to see what this weekend would bring for them and next weekend hockey season starts for me too uh i can't make the red sox because of some family commitments but i can make the providence bruins that night they've got a preseason game at the dunk so be my first game up at the dunkin donut center this year, and like I said, you can follow my stadium journeys, Twitter or Instagram, at PuckmanRI. And don't forget to check out our website, because that's kind of why we're here, you know, support the website, stadiumjourney.com. And you can follow us on our social media channels. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Dan, I'm sorry you distracted me there. Instagram <laughs> at Stadium Journey. You can find the Stadium Journey podcast and all the other HIAC talk radio content at vocnation.com and follow us 
on Twitter, of course, at HIAC Talk Radio. Join us for our next show on October 1st when we are joined by Kelly Levy and the rest of the Obey the Puck crew. Yeah, not September 31st, Dave, right? No. <laughs> uh, it's a crossover hockey episode. So thanks again to Sean Aronson for joining us tonight. And for Dan Colachico, Mark Viquez, and Dave Cotney, I'm Paul Baker wishing you all close games and safe journeys. <laughs>